Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Uh, What a final weekend of the 2021 college tennis regular season. I know we still have a few matches to trickle out. Obviously, we have some conference tournaments starting this week as well. So we are excited for the home stretch of this 2021 college tennis season. But as always, we were treated to some fantastic results. Upsets across the board. Texas knocks off the Baylor Bears. Michigan, I'm going to call it an upset by Ohio State given the position my boys were in in the match. We'll get into those results. We're going to give our updated Crack Rackets top 10 rankings. And then in lieu of another discussion about the current college tennis rankings, because I think we've beaten that content to death, what we're going to do at the end of today's podcast, name our 16 host sites heading into these postseason tournaments. The big question regarding these rankings, which of these teams are going to be able to be the 16 host sites come the the NCAA tournament. We learned our 20 finalists this past week. Want to talk about our reactions to those 20 finalists and again offer our 16 teams. Recap all of the week's college tennis action and joining me on today's podcast to do just that as they always do the two other members of our Crack Rackets College Tennis Holy Trinity. Let's start where we always start. You know him as the former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, a man who is your favorite writer on our website, Crack Rackets. And a man who in now over 150 podcasts has shown up late just once over his time here with CR. It's Matt the Cracks to Koyak. Matty, hey, great shot as always. How are you doing, my friend? Doing good, man. Um, Super busy. I know we had a few nail biters last weekend. If we're going to end the season, the regular season that way, um, I think it was a good way to go out. But I'm just uh, looking forward to my trip to Waco. I'll be heading out um, in just a couple of days. So excited to see the Big 12 action. Is the Big 12 tournament at Baylor? Yep, men's and women's. Oh, that, that is going to be so exciting. I am immensely jealous. We might have to ask you to do some on-site reporting for us while you're there. And yeah, that is certainly going to be some fun tennis. We can talk about the seeding a little bit regarding that Big 12 tournament as well. The fact that, because it's what, it's Texas number one, Baylor number two, TCU number three. Uh, obviously, for Texas, they avoid TCU and Baylor till the final. Although, if you're those two teams, the chance to get another ranked win that was fun. I mean, it's a fu- it's a fun little outcome, in my opinion, Maddie. Yeah, well, I mean, it it's interesting. You know, Texas is loving it, right? I mean, like <laughs> yeah. you said, they they get to avoid those other two uh, top ten teams, so it's definitely a, a clearer path for them to win the tournament, and we'll see what they do with it. And the flip side of that for the Baylor Bears, you want to be tested heading into postseason play because you have national championship aspirations. Ditto for TCU. You're going to need to go through a Baylor-type team, a Texas-type team, if you want to take that next jump, make a semifinal, make a final, really do some damage come May. But of course, again, we'll get into all of that throughout the podcast. And when we do, we will be joined by the third member of our College Tennis Holy Trinity, the only man, I suppose, who didn't have his feelings hurt by 
one of this past weekend's results. You, of course, know him as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR. One of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. Lover of mothers. Lover of almond joys. He quotes Henry Ford. He also quotes a few good men. The snitch. The professor. It's Chris Halioris. Chris. Hey, great shot as always. That was literally the least surprising news of the week, the fact that you can quote a few good men. <laughs> it was just too fitting when I read Jay's comment. I thought, <laughs> yeah, nah, nah, not a chance I'm commenting on that. Yeah, look, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. There's no denying that. <laughs> uh, but, no, that was a great comment. And, again, we always enjoy uh, engaging with any fans of this podcast. And I have to say our rankings discussions in particular seem to have uh, elicited many responses from all of you college tennis fans out there. We sincerely appreciate that. I will say this, 99.9% of you are constructive. I appreciate that. If you're going to be not constructive, all I ask, don't snitch me and tag me in the tweet. I don't need to be a if you're not being constructive. I have no problem with you blowing off some emotion with a tweet. It happens to the best of us. But don't snitch and tag me or Chris or Matt. And it will definitely snitch and tag Chris in it because he should be associated with that. But no, again, we are so appreciative because that's what we're trying to do is expand the conversation. And so many of you, uh, so many, uh, I would say, constructive uh not only arguments, but just constructive things you would add to help make the college tennis season better. We're also immensely grateful for the many of you that tuned in this weekend to our three red zone broadcasts. We were so fortunate to get both the USC and UCLA men's and women's matches on Friday and Saturday. And then, of course, Chris joined me on Sunday for the drama that was Michigan-Ohio State for, I suppose, like 10 minutes of doubles in UCF in Memphis. And we apologize to UCF fans. We wanted to show more of the match. We were just unfortunately having some play site issues there. But a thank you to them for allowing us to do that. Hopefully we'll get more of them moving forward here at Cracked Rackets. But thank you to all of you who tuned in. Thank you to you, Chris, for joining me, to Gil Gross, to Nina Pantic. Uh, obviously, was a very fun weekend of coverage. Of course, again... That That's all in the rear view. You came here to hear about the action, to preview the week ahead. And, of course, the reason we're able to do that week in, week out here on this podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family. Before the podcast began, just so all of you know, um, Chris was commenting that he thought our new studio setup, the new microphone, looked like an actual recording studio. And so I was dropping some verses for him. I apologize that all of you listeners aren't going to get to hear those verses, but... If enough of you subscribe to our Patreon channel, you can have Chris and I. We'll do a 32-bar verse. Both of us dropping lines. I'll write Chris's raps. He can read them for us. We'll get West off on the ones and twos as well. That is my enticing offer to all of you to join our Patreon family. But again, thank you to all of you for your support. It allows us to update the equipment. And then, of course, thank you to the support we get from our friends at Turner Grip. If you'd like to join the Turner family, you can call uh, 800 554 Four three seven zero seven, or email sales at uniquesports.com. Let me try that again. Call 800-554-3707 or email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned we sent you. They'll get some free samples along, and they'll treat you like family, which is all we try to do here at Crack Rackets. Expand and extend uh, our Crack Rackets and tennis community. So, again, be sure uh, to get involved with our friends at Turna. With that in mind, gentlemen, Let's talk about the college tennis action we saw this past weekend. And look, I would love 
to not lead the podcast with an Ohio State victory over Michigan. Every instinct in my body said bury this until minute 39, 40 of the podcast when, you know, Chris and Matt aren't as emotional or aren't as locked in as they are at the start. But, you know, we were fortunate to have it on our Red Zone broadcast, and I think pretty unequivocally, gentlemen, this was the match of the weekend. Michigan jumping out to the strongest of strong starts, probably played about as close to a perfect first hour and a half, two hours of this match as they could have on the road in Columbus. And Chris and I looked it up on the broadcast. The last time Ohio State lost a home Big Ten match was 2003 against an undefeated Illinois team that went on to win the NCAA championship. Since then, you know, they've only lost at home twice to Oklahoma and to obviously Virginia this year, but they haven't lost a Big Ten match. Michigan had them. And again, it started with doubles. There was a little lineup chicanery. We can get into that if you guys would like. Uh, Coach Tucker switching things up. It was Trotter and Boulay at one, Cash and McNally at two. Didn't matter. Wolverines get comfortable victory 6-1 at one. I believe it was 6-3 at number two. They take the doubles point. And then they get four first sets, and simultaneously, they had set and four three-break leads at one singles Fenty over Kingsley, two singles uh, Styler over McNally, and five singles uh, Beattie over Tracy. That, of course, was where things began to go awry, and it's worth noting, Cannon Kingsley, J.J. Tracy— undefeated in dual matches coming into this match against Michigan. That's two undefeated spots for the Buckeyes. Sure, Michigan had leads, but I guess I'll open up the floor to you, Maddie. You know, Styler put that point on the board for 2-0. Selig put that board up on the board pretty quickly for 2-1, and then there was still a lot to figure out. Cash and uh, Aaron Schneider were battling on court six. They had split sets pretty quickly, and Seymour and and, uh, Trotter split sets so quickly as well. So it really did come down to that moment. Setting a break leads for Michigan at 1-2-5. and In that moment, did you think the Wolverines had it, or did you, like I like to think I conveyed on the broadcast, still felt, given the players who were trailing for the Buckeyes, I mean, that that match was far from over. Yeah, you always kind of know that's it's a little bit far from over, but man, Michigan had uh, so many opportunities. I mean, you look at that. It's like every single court. I mean, Andrew Fenty was playing some really good tennis, couldn't close the deal. I mean, Matthias Seymart, now granted, he was down big. 5-2 in the the third. 5-2 in the third. One break, but but, but 5-2. Yeah, he's down big, but he comes all the way back. They get into a tiebreaker, and you're like, oh, my God. I mean, Seymour could clinch it. That's a guy that you want in that position. I thought... Um, you know, and then again, Nick Beattie, I mean, yes, I know JJ Tracy, phenomenal freshman undefeated in the dual matches. You mentioned it, Gruskin, but Nick Beattie was right there. I mean, he just, he made too many errors at the end of that match. And it just, he, it's so tough for Michigan because they're going to look back on that and be like, well, we could have had it on that court. We could have had it on that court. We could have had it on that court. They did just about everything right except close the deal. And I do like the fact that they did get exposed. I like that Ty Tucker got exposed with the, the doubles lineups. I was, I was happy to see that, um, you know, just, just for fun. I mean, just to kind of stick it to him and say, Hey, if you think you're going to get away with this, look, 
it it doesn't matter. We don't care what you do. Um, so I thought that was enjoyable. But man, to lose four of those singles courts, I mean, there were opportunities on every single one of them. Credit to Styler, I thought he was tremendous. Nino Schneider, I thought he was really good on court six, but God, that's a it's a I mean, that's a brutal loss for Michigan. It really is. Yeah. I look, I have a five minute monologue in me, but I wanna let you guys talk about the match first. Just wanna add some context to some things Maddie said. Uh to the point about Seymour. For him to come back from 5-2 down in the third, here's what was happening simultaneously. So he fights off, I think it was three match points, gets that match 2-5 all. Uh, simultaneously, Aaron Schneider, who was down 5-2 in the first, races back, wins five straight games for 7-5, loses a second set 6-0 in about 12 minutes, and then goes down 2-0 in the third— as Seymour is making his run, Aaron Schneider makes his run, and he wins six straight games, and it's hilarious. There were literally just like a 25-minute stretch where he won 11 of his games, and that was the match. And so between the doubles point, between Andre Styler, who was fantastic against John McNally, uh, Michigan now has three points on the board. Seymour's got all the momentum. You've still got Beatty, who's the senior against a freshman. Beatty's lost once on the year. You know, Tracy hasn't lost, but still, you probably like the senior there. Um, or at least you, it's not that you like him. You feel comfortable with the senior there. Seymour was the guy who clinched for the Wolverines against the Buckeyes in the first match. I know that felt like a monologue. I swear that was just context. Chris. You were with me on the call for the match. You saw my face. There was a moment where it was 4-5, BD was down, and the scoreboard updated, and it said 6-4 Tracy, and I lost my sh- on the broadcast, <laughs> and then it turned out that it was just a mistake, and BD ended up holding, but clearly they knew something was about to go down. Uh, again, all of that context added your reaction to this result. Yeah, I mean— I mean, Maddie said it, Michigan had it. I don't, you know, they, they let it get away. And I, you know, the match, like I had mentioned early in the broadcast, I think when, even when it was like two, one Fenty up a break in the second was, Hey, it's really, really early. And if you think you're going to close out a guy like Kingsley from that far away, there's a lot of tennis to be played and guys like that, you know, those guys, if you're one of the top, five players you know in college that Kingsley wants to be it's it's very hard to close those guys out it's they just they find another level when their backs are against the wall and you just felt like Kingsley was probably going to find something which he did the one that really got me was the Beatty match and not just the fact not, not just because he lost it but because of the way he lost it and we saw JJ Tracy hitting him garbage slice forehands. Beatty could not put a ball in, in all those in balls. In approach that, shot more than anything else. Yeah, all those uh, those forehand approaches yep. from just behind the service line that he had been cleanly putting down the line, getting to the net before. Now they were all finding the tape, finding it a little long, finding it a little wide. He just couldn't get, I mean, couldn't get couldn't get the ball put away or even make it a solid approach shot to the point where he stopped trying. And all of a sudden Tracy's hitting him those balls just beyond the service line and Beatty's coming up, hitting it and backpedaling to the baseline, coming up, hitting it and backpedaling to the baseline and got, he got out of his game. And I just, I don't think that's what you could, I mean, in hindsight, and he'll probably look at it and say the same thing is man, 
I should have just kept firing. I mean, you know, you got to play your game. Yeah, and look, Nick Beattie isn't just a friend of the pot. He's legitimately, I would say, a friend at this point and his family, supporters of the show. And, of course, that's a match. It's worth saying, indoors, that approach shot, that willingness to come forward, it's just you're that much more comfortable because these teams haven't played that many outdoor matches yet, and you do have to factor that in. That said... Yeah, it, it's all fair, and Nick knows that. Like, he was right there, and it's, you know, again, there were fans in Columbus there. I would say about 200 fans in the crowd, and just, they haven't played a lot of matches in front of fans. Like, none of these teams have, and that atmosphere, that adrenaline, I mean, it's not as though the nerves weren't manifesting for Tracy, to your point. How many forehand slices did he hit from four, on, four all on in that third set? And how many breaks did they trade in those last two sets, Chris? It was incredible. Yeah, and it's not like we're not, you know, we're we're not picking on Nick a, yeah. at all, right? I mean, there's there's a point at which once that happens, you're like, you know you want to do yeah. something about it. You just can't like when you've 100%. lost that shot, you've lost the shot and you can't hit it. So, you know, it's easy to sit here and say, yeah, he's going to exactly. watch it and go, "Man, I wish I would hit the damn ball." But, you know, <laughs> it's like yeah. when you can't, you can't and it just it went away and all of a sudden what he had wasn't there and that's uh yeah, that's that's the one where he's going to feel that because he knows he had it. I mean, it was his, it was there for him to win. Yeah, 100% would echo that sentiment. And again, that's what makes college tennis so special because it is that team atmosphere, that environment. You do feel the nerves, all the crowd, all the teammates are on the sideline. Everyone's watching you. This was a special match. And I want to quickly, because we've talked a lot about what Michigan did wrong, let's talk about what Ohio State did right. Cannon Kingsley, 24-0 now. Uh, you know, he's shuffled between the one and two singles position, but to be down a set and a break 4-3 against Andrew Fenty, who was just having a day, who just, his athleticism, he was absorbing the pace, redirecting it, doing the things when Andrew Fenty looks his best that he does. And Andrew Fenty is someone who the better the competition, the better he plays. Cannon Kingsley's a f-ing stud. Like, there's just no other way to say it at this point. The guy is undefeated. He was number one in the country earlier in the season. We've talked about the crime that he's not even in the top 10, top 20, top 40 right now. We all are aware of that. Uh, but for me, it's it's Kova 1 because I've seen the pro success. I've just seen it so up close. And then it's Kingsley 2. And that includes the Will Blumberg-Kukerman division. Like, those two guys are undefeated. They've been the best two players in college tennis this year. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, we all knew Cannon was going to come back. The biggest thing for Fenty was close that match out in straights. Hold on to that break for dear life because if you give Cannon even an inkling, he's going to take it. Did I like that he took his shirt off after the match? No, it pissed me off to no ends. But that's because I'm a Michigan fan. I would have if it, if it was Fenty in the reverse, I'd be on here praising it. So I totally get it. Shout out to him. He earned that moment. McNally fought, wasn't his day. That's a credit to Styler. Selig at four. He was lined up at five initially, but this is the Kyle Selig we expected to see. And for him to bounce back after the Maloney loss, straight set win, quick point on the board, stud. Cash is going to be kicking himself just how that match unfolded. It was just a weird match. You know, for me, Trotter and Tracy. That's the story. I mean, for James Trotter to blow that lead, and there was an approach shot. It was 30-15. He had an approach shot for 40-15, double match point in that 5-3, or triple match point in that 5-3 service game. He missed the approach. What does Ty Tucker do? Doesn't ream him out, puts two hands on the shoulders, and just says, relax. You got this. And James Trotter in that tiebreaker was money, Chris. The big serve, the big forehand. Took a two, Seymour. He earned that. 
And then Tracy just competed. You know, Tracy, he's undefeated for a reason. I said it at the start of the season. I'll say it now. Outside of, you know, he's probably my favorite American freshman in the college this season. Outside of Monday, Doc Vaughn, uh, Gustav Strom, who have been in another class, you know, he's probably been the American who's contributed the most. But to the Michigan side, because those are my boys. <sighs> Just the quick takeaway, and then we'll move on. I apologize. Back-to-back 4-3 matches against Ohio State. You win the one at home, you lose the one on the road. You took the doubles point both times. You have played two competitive matches. You were in position to legitimately win both. It wasn't a fluke. There weren't absences in the lineup. You outplayed the Buckeyes for probably four of the six hours of tennis you guys have competed against each other in a dual match this season. And that's the third season in a row now we've played the Buckeyes tight we're back. Like, Michigan is here to stay. It's not a fluke. It's a second 4-3, Maddie. Like, again, the first one, it was so early in the season. The Buckeyes had played so little. So had the Wolverines, and we didn't really know what the lineups were going to be. No Trotter, et cetera, et cetera. It's now mid-April, and that was an NCAA quarterfinal quality match, maybe even a semifinal quality match. That's about as good as it gets. And if I'm a Wolverine, yes, we're kicking ourselves. We had that match, but we're there. Like, come postseason play, if we can do that to the Buckeyes in Columbus, can't Michigan do that anywhere? Potentially. I mean, I don't know for sure. Um, you know, rivalry, ma- it's easy to get up for Ohio State, right? When you're Michigan, it's very easy to get up for that kind of a match. But they're there. You're right. I mean, the level that they showed, they are absolutely right there. I just think at the end of the day, based on the way that the matches were going, If I have to say, you know, do I give more credit to Ohio State for hanging in there and battling and coming back, or do I blame Michigan a little bit more for blowing the opportunities? I I just, yes, Ohio State competed. I mean, they really did. Trotter, Tracy, those guys hung in there. But with the way those matches were, just the flow of it all, and I watched every bit of it. I was streaming your red zone the entire time. I love you as always. I just feel like that Michigan, they had that match. Like, they really did. They had it set up in the fact that they couldn't close. That's just, it's really tough. Credit to the Buckeyes, but man, I mean, they let one slip away. My thinking, or my counter to that, because I agree 100%. The best programs, the best teams, you lose that match 25 times before you even win it once. And for the Wolverines now, you know, the USC match at the National Indoors, we were right there, should have closed it, we didn't. This year in Columbus, we were right there, should have closed it, didn't. Well, guess what? Sans Connor Johnston, Harry Brown, Matthias Seymour, and I'm going to fight to keep Seymour in Michigan. I'll do whatever I have to do. Um, We get the squad back next year. Fenty, Styler, Maloney, Beattie, Those guys have now played in some big matches. And next year when you lose this one, it's disappointing because you just don't have that many go-rounds with the team. But this is the sort of loss you kind of have to take before you can make that elite push. And I thought last year was a year too soon. I think this is the year for the Wolverines. And I know draw-wise, seating-wise, it's going to be horrible. But, I mean, Chris... Is this team NC? I, I guess for both, we know the Buckeyes are capable of doing, but your final takeaways, I feel like this Michigan team, you get them to the round of 16, they can beat anyone. 
they're da- they're dangerous. I'll say I'll say they're dangerous. Where they, yeah, I think they, I think they could jump up and beat somebody. Do I think from the round of sixteen that they can win four matches in a row? No, I, right? I don't think Fair. they're I don't think they're capable of going all the way. But do I think on you know against against somebody on any given day? Do they have enough that they could pull it off? Yeah, I think they do. Uh, I mean, I think it's going to be really tough against a few of those teams, but but still, they've shown they've shown they've got it. I just think uh, uh, you know they they need a little bit more if they if they want to get to the point where yeah, it's a every day four days in a row from the round of sixteen down, we give them a fifty fifty shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look for Michigan, their postseason play. To win the Big Ten Conference, you're going to have to beat Illinois and Ohio State. That's about as close of a facsimile you can get to a round of 16 quarterfinal style gauntlet as you can have as a warm-up for the NCAA tournament. So certainly, you know, and that dittos, by the way, I think Illinois is going to be the two seed, by the way, in that Big Ten tournament. And so, uh, yeah, for for Illinois, the same argument applies. And by the way, we don't have to break this one down, but a Alexander kovacevich list Illinois team uh, down 3-1 to Northwestern. They dropped the doubles point. They dropped straight set matches at number two singles, Dominic Starry beating Alex Brown and then our boy, not family of the program, Presley Fiedemann, two and six win over Lucas Horve. Uh, Steve Foreman, who back from injury, number one singles, served for that match twice against Monty at number one. Monty ends up coming back. The, the Illini roar back, end up winning the match for three. I mean, all of these teams, Maddie, I want to go to you first and then Chris, as we head towards Big Ten postseason play. I think all three of these teams are worthy of consideration. They were all selected as finalists for top 20, uh, for final 16 seeds. I guess my question to you, final question about the Big Ten, both Maddie and Chris, and this gets into our later conversation as well. Do you think all three of these teams deserve to be top 16? Mm, You know, I definitely think Illinois and Ohio State do. And I think... I think Michigan is close. I mean, it's it's a tough call if you're going to give three of those 16 spots to the Big Ten. I mean, I will have no problem if they do. Like, if Michigan hosts, I'm okay with it. I, I do think they're worthy. I'm just – I'm not sure that it's going to happen. Um, I, I think it's borderline. I think it's very close. I'm, I'm not for certain that they're going to get one of those host spots. They probably um, have to beat – whomever they play in the semifinal, right? You win one, you probably get it. You win two, you get it. That's that's exactly what I think is that semifinal match, whether that's the Ohio State or Illinois match. But assuming they they get there, they win that match, yeah, it's a good, I'd say, good chance. They lose that match, good chance they don't get it. I'm I'm good with that. I'm Um, good with that. And then God help whoever that 16 seed is. Oh, what a region. That could be a Michigan-Stanford matchup, which you knew was going to happen the second you guys in this preseason were like, I'm telling you, Alex, Stanford's this young team to watch. You just knew that was going to be the eventual matchup. But anyways, uh, yeah, look, it's been 
four months we've been doing this podcast. Safe to say, other than our preview podcast about Michigan, I think this is the first time I've really done a deep dive on the Wolverines. I apologize for the 20-minute-centric Michigan-Ohio State breakdown. The match was that good, and we were really fortunate to be on the broadcast. Shout out, as always, to Ohio State, to the Big Ten Network for allowing us to do that. Uh, Chris, I know you kind of chimed in there, but you know, final thoughts go to you here on where the Big Ten stands heading into their postseason. Well, I think, and I never heard anything. I assume the brackets are out. They're just playing a regular tournament, right? I believe so, yes. Didn't vote any sort of compass draw, back draw, anything into play. So, yeah, I think from a Big Ten standpoint, it's going to be interesting now because, uh, you know, when rankings come out tomorrow, today, for the people listening to this, you know, as presumably it comes out, um, you know, Northwestern is going to be outside the cut, who has been comfortably inside the cut for a fair amount of the season there I think I'm not looking at it I think I had them at like 53 ish or something like that so so they're out uh and you know they were in in the team and what we were talking about was Minnesota who had been at like 53 being questionable they're down in the 60s now so yeah it's going to be very interesting to see uh what that committee will will do with the Big Ten with as far as as some of those teams are falling now I've got to think that uh you know, Minnesota is basically a goner at this point, and Northwestern's the one that's looking for help, and they're going to need uh, a decent win in the tournament probably uh, to get to get their way back in because if they fall even more and you start asking them to put in a team that's like 60 in the computer ranks, it gets tough. Yeah, I mean, I was having this conversation with a coach who can remain unnamed who is having, you know, a better season right now? Is it Northwestern or is it Texas Tech? Because you look for Texas Tech, I think their best win is like a 4-3 win against Tulane. They've beaten Oklahoma. Uh, they beat, I think, Oklahoma State as well. They've lost the matches they should lose in the Big 12. I think they lost one early in the season to LSU and Tulsa as well. Um, like, is that that different than what Northwestern has done. Like, yes, by virtue of the conference they play in, the strength of the victories for Texas Tech, I suppose, have been a little bit better. But you look for Northwestern, outside of the loss they took to Minnesota, they've beaten everyone they're supposed to beat. They beat Duke. They almost beat Illinois. It almost doesn't matter for anything. Don't roll your eyes at me. Duke, we're going to talk about them a little, a little bit later, Maddie. They're not bad. I just feel like because Northwestern's probably the bubble, right? It's probably either them or Minnesota, whoever wins that 4-5 matchup. And, like, I understand if Minnesota's it's close. Like, Northwestern, to me, is a no-brainer. That could be a top 25 team. They, they should be in, right? I mean, yeah, if you if you look at where you legitimately would rank them, and we had this discussion, I, I have them oh, right It might have been with order. you. It might it might not have been with a coach. It might have been with you. But, but right at that top, right, I mean, I make that – top 25 cut right and and they're a school that's right there at with about five or six teams where you're going eh, 23 24 25 who do I put in there and they're always in that conversation so if you're talking about that school as 23 24 25 or are they 26 27 28 they're certainly top 43 yeah. uh you know so so they've got I mean they've got to be in uh, again, I say got to be this, the NCAA. You have no idea what's going to happen. And look, you know, the folks on this committee are not a bunch of uh, tennis folks either. So I, I don't, I mean, they're going to do their due diligence, I'm sure. But hopefully that's a no-brainer and Northwestern's in the field. Yeah, 
I, I agree. And again, if Northwestern knocks off a top seed, as they'll have the chance to do at the Big Ten tournament, you imagine one of those wins probably gets them in for sure. So again, that's your Big Ten update. It was a fantastic match. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, Northwestern. And it's been a very interesting conference. Certainly, uh, it sucks that we didn't get to see them play some non-conference matches. We'd have loved to see how you know a resurgent Michigan State competes more nationally this season. Things along that nature, not just the top dogs. So uh, that's where we're at in the Big Ten. Hey, Cracked fans. As winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro, which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start, but they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Let's move on now, and I want to cede the floor to you, Maddie. I'm just going to set the scene for the listeners. You take it wherever you want to go after that. But we have to talk now about Baylor's Big 12 weekend and just some of the Big 12 action we saw unfold. You look for the Bears. In fairness to them, they're 2-0 and against the Longhorns coming into this weekend's match, and we say it all of the time here. It's an old adage. It's really hard to beat a team once. Very difficult to beat a team twice. Damn near impossible to beat a team three times in the same season, particularly when the talent level is as equal as it is between these two squads. You talk about this Texas match, uh, Texas team. They've played so many close matches. They're, what, 9-1 and one in 4-3 decisions here this season. Uh, they're a top-10 team. Baylor's a top-10 team. Uh, and for the Texas Longhorns, Part three was their time to shine. They knock off the Bears 5-2. You look for them. They take the doubles point. They get a 7-6 win to clinch at number three. It was Charlie Broom and Finn Bass playing there. So again, this is the change in the Baylor-Bear doubles lineup manifesting itself. We also saw a switch in the singles lineup. Nick uh, Stoko- sorry, Nick Stokowiak. I say Nick because Matt is obviously Matt Stokowiak. But Nick Stokowiak goes from 4-3. to three. Sven La goes from 3 Three to four. Looked like Texas might blow the Bears out for a little bit. They got a straight set win from Spaziri over Boyton at one. Straight set from uh, Waldeep over Nick at three. They were up big was Cleve Harper over Sven at four. But then the Bears fought back. However, ultimately, it was Texas 5-2, vict- uh, 5-2 victory for them. They get the wins again at doubles. One, three, four, and five. Let's start there. I know you were locked into this match. What your reaction to this result? Well, it was obvious from the first point of doubles, Texas was so hungry. I mean, they wanted this win more than anything else. You could just tell 
the way that they got up for this match, 100%. the energy, the enthusiasm, it was apparent immediately. And I've watched a couple points in doubles and I'm like, oh God, Texas wants this bad. Like this is about to be a dogfight. And, and from the Baylor perspective, I just they came into this match. Look, they had already beaten Texas. They had blown them out, beaten them 4-1, 4-0. They weren't fully focused and ready to win this match. Texas was, and it started in doubles. Now, here's the thing, though. Doubles barely went to Texas. If that tiebreaker flips the other way on court three and Baylor ends up winning that close doubles point, I do think this match could have flipped. I think Baylor could have gotten out of there with like a 4-3 win. But when Texas won that doubles point, you just knew it was such an uphill battle. And yet, I still had some confidence, you know, that as good as Baylor is in singles, they would maybe be able to pull out four singles wins. But it was going to be a long shot, especially on this night. And you, all the credit has to go to Texas. I was extremely impressed with the way that they played. I mean, Elliot Spaziri was tremendous over Adrian at number one. Nick, I thought, played a decent match against Waldeeb. I mean, by all means, I watched every point of it. And I'm like, man, Nick's not playing half bad. You know, he was in there. He had, he had chances to at least get that into a third set. Spencer Furman, obviously, he put a quick point up to make it 1-1 and even that match. That is really what allowed Baylor to even stick in there and, and provide any bit of a push. If Spencer doesn't win that match quickly, it's all downhill. So credit to him for that. Um, Charlie Broom, he'd beaten Chi-Chi two times this year already. It was 2-0 and in that head-to-head. And again, it was like one of those things where Chi-Chi just... I was very impressed with the way that he kept his composure. He didn't fold under the pressure. The match essentially came down to him, and he stuck in there. I mean, he had the stones to close it out, which was really impressive. So I just think this was one of those situations, guys, where Baylor had beaten him twice. Texas wanted this so bad. I mean, you could tell this was like playing for for a championship. Um and Baylor wasn't quite prepared. It was indoors. It was scheduled to be outdoors. There was some rain. They had to go indoors. The crowd was a little bit weird. Um, so it just, things didn't go their way. It was not the Bears' night. Um, and credit to Texas. They definitely earned that one. No yeah. question. So a bunch of things there. Uh, I think, by the way, you you absolutely nailed it on the head there. That's about as good of a match summary as you're going to find. I would add, to your point about Spencer, absolutely. That was the match neutralizer. Very much similar to Kyle Seedlick's point for Ohio State. It's like, all right, we're down, but we're alive. We're alive. And, you know, for Sven to flip that match in that second set, I know he's been probably the one who struggled the most in the singles lineup this year for the Baylor Bears. And, uh, you know, it looked like he was about to lose what? He was down, I think. He lost that first set, 6-1. Was he down 5-0 or was it 5-2? No, no, no. He was down 3-0. 3-0, that's what it was. 6-1, 3-0, which is, that's not great, Bob. And, you know, for him to flip that match, win the tiebreaker 9-7, I know he ended up losing the third set, but for me, you know, it was after the clinch. That was a win for the Bears moving forward, but... I mean, these Texas Longhorns, Chris, I say all the time, they're my 2023 favorite, right, to win the NCAA tournament. It would have been 2022, but Barbots was going to Virginia, and you've seen the, the, the who's this year. They're my favorite until someone tells me otherwise, other than the Wolverines. Anyways, this Texas team, 
I, I texted this to both of you as a joke. I think it's time to start referring to them as the defending NCAA champions because, and you know, we talked to uh, Coach Burke months ago now after the National Indoors, and I think you were on that podcast, Chris, and, you know, he went on about why he had faith in Chi-Chi Huang despite Chi-Chi struggling in that kickoff, uh, in that National Indoor tournament, and why he said, look, the best version of us involves a locked-in, informed Chi-Chi Huang. This match is proof of that. This is why you let players play through their struggles. And just, I mean, I know now he's a friend of the program, but it's a credit to Coach Burke, to that entire coaching staff, um, from associate head coach, volunteer, uh, volunteer assistant, all the way down, Chris. This Texas team, they're just damn good now. It's very Tennessee-ish. It's just like, all right, we've got six flights. Let's just see how the ball, you know, how the balls break that day. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've given them grief for all the four, three matches and some of them over teams that probably you would have thought maybe they would beat a little more comfortably than that. But, but yeah, they're, I mean, they're a good team. They're, they are, they're very dangerous and they can do it every day, right? That, that I, you know, where we talk about maybe a Michigan, ah, it's going to be tough to do. They can beat anybody on any given day, but can they run it four times in a row? Texas is doing it every day. So, you know, someone's going to have to play a good match to knock them off. Yeah, and as we mentioned now, Texas can be the number one seed heading into the Big 12 tournament. Your number two seed, Baylor, who did bounce back, Maddie. They end up getting a 5-2 win over TCU. You look for the Bears. They end up winning at the number one and three doubles position. Charlie and Finn uh, making up for their prior result, and then they get victories from Boyton. Matias Soto 0-1 over Alistair Gray. That's one of those head-scratching, eye-popping victories. Charlie Broom bounces back for a 1-4 win over Paralek. Furman also got a straight-set win over Kruger. You know, for TC they get wins at three and four but the match pretty early it was decided and you know it was a comfortable victory for the Bears I think you look across the board they took what five first sets because Nick won his first set right so five in singles good bounce back for them tough result for TCU you go to Texas Tech you have to play Baylor both road matches that's always going to be a tough stretch but again same thing we talked about for the Big Ten you look now heading into postseason play Texas, TCU, Baylor, we don't need to talk about them being top 16 seeds. They're all locks. But how do you feel about this conference? Do you feel about all three of these teams equally? Are they all national championship contenders? Are none of them national championship contenders? Now that we've reached the end of Big 12 play, how are you feeling? Because we knew this conference was going to deliver the goods all year. That's right. And they all beat up on each other, right? Texas beats Baylor, Baylor beats TCU, TCU beats Texas. So, It's hard to say. I think the tournament this coming weekend will tell a lot. We're most likely going to get a Baylor and TCU rematch in the semifinals. And then the winner of that, you would think, would play Texas for the championship. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, I think these teams are very close. And just whoever gets up for the match, like the Baylor-TCU match was the exact reverse of Baylor-Texas, right? This was a situation where TCU had beaten Baylor earlier in the year, Baylor was extremely hungry to show that they could beat the Horned Frogs. I just think it comes down to the day. Who's playing their better tennis on that day? Who's going to win doubles points? You know, you look at that, that's going to make a tremendous difference when these teams match up. Um, 
as far as the talent, I mean, I think all three of them have the ability to go all the way. I think all of them are that good. It just comes down to matchups and, and who's playing well when it matters most. Yeah, where I would slightly push back, uh, 2019, when Baylor won that conference tournament, I thought to myself, oh, this Bears team, you know, is they might win the national championship. They might get hot. And at that time, it was Shredder and Law and Bendick and all of the Soto and all of the guys. And, you know, uh, it ended up being Texas who won the national championship that year. Uh, but to your point, given the nature of this season, given how valuable it will be to be in that atmosphere, how rare it has been to be in that atmosphere, I would echo everything you say. Chris, uh, Ditto, obviously, same question to you. Your thoughts on these Big 12 teams. We're probably going to get all six, right? There's no 500 rule this year, so Oklahoma can lose out, and they're still probably going to get in just by the quality of their victories. Oh, yeah, they're all, all six in for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's not even a question. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the more interesting question is, are they all are they all <laughs> national championship contenders? Sorry, a, a brief smile as I see in – I'm, I'm, I've got one eye on you guys and one eye on the, the Mississippi State Alabama match. And Geo just won the first set in a breaker and did the dumbest dance I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I mean, just ridiculous. Uh, but uh, you can leave that in, Westhoff. But anyway, <laughs> uh, um, you know, I, I actually would say I think two of the three at this point are national champion contenders. I'm not, even though I love them and have for the past two years. I'm not going to put TCU in that bucket right now just because of the consistency factor, right? It's the same question you ask about Michigan. Do I think they can play their best tennis four matches in a row from the round of 16 on? They haven't shown it to me yet this year. They always seem to find, you know, they're when they're good, they're really good. Do I think they can beat any in the anybody in the country? Absolutely. Have they shown me that they can play that level four days in a row? Not yet. Yeah. So, I, no, uh, you know, granted, if they do, they have the talent to do it. I just haven't seen the consistency from them yet. They've beaten Baylor. They've beaten Texas. But those teams have, you know, uh, outside of that, though, like, yeah, they beat USC at the indoors. But it's not the sort of win we thought that was going to be. Yeah, they beat at Ole Miss. But like, OK. Um, meanwhile, their losses, Virginia, Tennessee, Florida, uh, all teams and then you know loss at AM, those are all teams we might expect to beat them on those occasions so I don't think that's a not it's not a not fair point about TCU it, it really just depends if Famba and Gray are hot on the right day they can beat anyone the problem is you need them to be yeah. hot four days in a row exactly that's that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying I mean they, and they could be they just haven't done it yet so I'm not ready to say I would make them a team that I think is gonna is you know is gonna be right there at the end yeah, it's completely fair. But again, that's where we're at heading into Big 12 Conference play. Uh, that's one of the earlier conference tournaments, so we'll talk about that more next week. Let's kind of run through the rest of the results. We'll go through these quickly here uh, because, again, those were the notable ones. And we also did have Oklahoma State much-needed win just from a confidence standpoint over Oklahoma for 2 this weekend as well. Let's move out west, though. We had uh, USC-UCLA, obviously, on our broadcast. UCLA playing without Keegan Smith, able to take the doubles point, but then Trojans just jump all over them in singles. Might have been the best performance I've seen from USC this season. Uh, Obviously, when you're without Keegan Smith in your lineup, UCLA is going to be in trouble, but they looked great. The big story here, and I apologize, Matty, I want to go to Chris here first. Oregon beat Stanford 4-2. Now, 
because Utah beat Arizona, because Stanford beat Arizona, Stanford ends up beating USC and UCLA in the conference matches, they're ending up declared the Pac-12 regular season champion. I don't really care about that. Their loss to Oregon here this weekend. I would say a common sentiment I heard from people I text within the college tennis world was, man, they just f***ed over the entire conference. True or untrue? Untrue. Okay, make the case. Uh, Because it hurts. It doesn't feel good. Well, the team they hurt was USC. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, USC is, is, is probably the only team that that wanted uh, Stanford to win that match because USC is in the position where they need the big points. So they want Stanford to win all of those matches, keep climbing, beat them again, and get the big points to move them up in the ranking. Everybody else, because they've all, you know, most of them have have had a shot and a win over Stanford, Arizona, you know, and Arizona and the like, they've been able to beat Stanford uh, you know, or they've got stay and they've been able to, and they've got wins over Oregon. They're fine spreading those points around and kind of letting that trickle out to the rest of the conference. It will help some of those teams and it gets Oregon in a really good spot to say now, now they were no chance probably of them being a, well, they could still be a bubble team, but that that's a significant help to them by the end of the year, and we expect you at Stanford to move back up so that even those points that Oregon will get for winning that will get better as we get to the final rankings. So, yeah, I think it's bad for USC. It's not horrible for anybody else. I should say it hurts their chances to get a couple of top 16 host sites. And, like, here's the thing. You're going to need some out west. So by proxy of being out west, it's really going to come down to Stanford, USC, and Arizona, and we'll have really? that conversation. Am I we wrong? Am I some or we need one? Well, that's the question, I suppose. Or do you just have seven in Texas, and you're just like, you know what? We're all just going down there. There are no laws so, anyways. So, so I only I only count four non-Pac-12 teams capable of driving to a, to a West Coast school. So, okay. So it shouldn't be – so the thing is then they're going to have to waive the conference rule. It's going to have to just be all conference squads. Yeah, I mean, if they don't waive the conference rule, I show – you know, and these are just assuming these are assumed conference winners that haven't happened yet, right? Yeah. So, you know, things can happen to make that different. But, but I've got Pepperdine, Fresno State, UC Irvine; those are three basically locks. And then Northern Arizona is, you know, close enough that they could drive. But, but that those four schools are it if you're talking about driving to a yeah. West Coast school for a tournament. Anybody else is flying. So now, if you make two. West Coast hosts, that requires six teams. You've got to fly two in or just have one at worst, one of those fly out. Uh, I go for the lesser, you know, the lesser number, which means I only need one host. Look at that. The professor two is greater than one. I don't disagree with you there. (laughs) Took a while to get to that subtraction, but yeah, I think that was the ultimate equation. Uh, Yeah, because yeah, no, it was. Um, Maddie. I guess, again, from the tennis standpoint, you look at this USC team, we can't factor more Bullis in at, at this point. At the, you know, at this, you just assume that the 6-4, the Trojans, going to be Kukerman, who rocked Nanda on Saturday. He looked about as healthy as he's looked all season. You've got Smith, Destanich getting healthy, Fry playing his best tennis, Westrate, Sands. You never know exactly what you're going to get, but I'm pretty sure both of them have only lost five matches your thoughts on this Trojans team? Because on its, you know, the core 
is the same. The nucleus is the same as last year of a team that won the national indoor title. You know, they really Brandon Holt was a placeholder more than anything else. Yeah, but he was an important placeholder. Yeah, that's true. It was the number um, one obviously, yeah, they, right. I mean, if no, you're and I'm saying he's health when healthy. He wasn't a placeholder, but I'm saying during that national indoor run specifically when he was sick and getting all of us sick, um, he it was just that like, all right, it doesn't matter because we're going to get the wins elsewhere. Right. And, and you think with still, Kuki, yeah, with Kuki, you'd think there wouldn't be sorry that big of a drop off. This team is still dangerous. It's just, to me, we had projected them as a top five absolute, like, if they're not there at the end of the tournament, we would probably be pretty shocked. And now I don't feel that way. I mean, this team could go to the end, potentially, if they get hot and they play well. They still have that kind of talent. Or, depending on who they match up with in the round of 16, they could be out in the round of 16. And at this point, I wouldn't be completely shocked with that result either. So, um, I think a lot of it's going to depend on the draw, where they fall in the NCAA bracket. Um, and they're they're going to have to play – they're going to have to play well because we've seen the USC guys not play well, and they it, it's, it's not good. I mean, they – they have to be playing well. Um, so we'll see. I mean, they're dangerous. I, you know, if you're one of the top teams, you probably don't want to see them in the round of 16. I, I wouldn't. No, I, I agree. It's, again, they're going to be fascinating. Just rest assured, Chris will pick them to win the NCAA tournament. Like, none of us have to worry about that. That's just what he does. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated. If they can, if they win their conference tournament, now I'm afraid. Now I'm like, uh-oh. Have they hit their stride? If they can just figure out, you know, that number three doubles position, just get Western. They, you know, I think it's like six of their four three ma- and six their six four three losses. Like four of them, they had match points, and it's just sometimes those break your way, sometimes they don't. Everything seems to have not broken their way. What if it starts to? come NCAA tournament. It's not going to shock any of us to your point. So again, that's where we're at in the Pac-12. And I mean, I guess we'll, we'll talk NCAA cutoff after the postseason tournament, so we don't have to do that for all of the conference. Let's just quickly kind of rapid fire through everything else and, you know, a little Chris's corner as well if you want to hear it. I'm going to throw some results out there. I'm going to go to you first, Maddie, and then Chris will cede the floor to you. You look at the ACC. North Carolina this weekend played, I believe, both of their matches without Will Blumberg and Rinky Hijikata in singles. They had Rinky in doubles uh, for their I think for uh, both of the matches, they had Will in doubles for the second of the matches. But for North Carolina, 4-3 win over Miami. It was not 4-3 at the time of clinch, but 4-2 win over Florida State. Ditto, uh, not that at the time of clinch. For Wake Forest, 7-0 win over a Galarnolis NC State team. But Wake Forest clearly hitting their stride. And again, this time it was Squire, Body, Nava, Kungu, Banthia, and Maroney getting a look so that Wake Forest team continues to be dangerous good weekend for Notre Dame they lose a 4-2 decision to Virginia but they knock off Virginia Tech 4-0 for Duke two big wins 4-2 over Miami and then 4-2 over Florida State Maddie your thoughts on all the ACC action we saw unfold this past week okay I'll start with Duke absolutely critical wins They had to be critical. They had to beat Florida State and Miami. Credit to them. They did. Um, I mean, they they had some impressive performances. Andrew Zhang was tremendous. He clinched both matches. So that was great to see. 
um, for for the Blue Devils, I think now firmly, I mean, they they should be in. I mean, they play Louisville in the um, in the ACC tournament. If they win that, they get Wake Forest. Um, you know, don't really know what to expect there. But Duke, yeah, that was that was a must for them, and they did it. As far as UNC, they have to get healthy. I mean, they're not looking good. They do not look good they're right the now. They're the three seed in the ACC tournament. How crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, we never would have expected that, but they probably deserve it. Mm-hmm. Do they? I mean, do they not? Like, you look at it and go, yeah, I mean, that's probably where they should be. They're not trending in the right direction. They have to get healthy or else, uh, you know, this Carolina team is not the same. Now, I was at the Wake Forest NC State match, Okay. That was god-awful tennis. <laughs> Wake Forest, look, Wake Forest didn't do a damn thing. No Alexi. I don't know what Kyle Spencer was doing. I think he I think he threw the match, honestly. So we saw jo- Joseph Schrader and Colin Schick playing at five and six singles. No Lexi. By the way, I saw Lexi. He was sitting down there on the court. Like, I, he looked fine to me. I don't know what was going on there. They tossed that match. They threw it away, gave it to Wake Forest. Wake did not even look that good, man. I'm telling you, I watched every single court. The one guy that I was pretty impressed with, Henry Squire did look pretty good. He didn't have to be that great, but I liked what I saw. Everybody else was like, ugh. I mean, Sid, Banthia did not look good. He didn't even want to be there. Um, I was not impressed with Taha Body. Kungu is Kungu. I mean, you know what you're getting out of him every time. Maroney. I can kind of see now why Tony hasn't played the freshman Maroney all year. Like, and I don't think going forward come postseason, we'll see him in there. Um, I, you know, his game is just, it's okay. It's not bad. He doesn't do anything spectacular. He doesn't do anything, you know, terribly. It's just, he's okay at moving. He has okay ground strokes, decent serve, you know, okay return. Um, so I, I can kind of see why he's been in and out of the lineup a little bit, but, um, you know, I do expect Wake Forest when they actually have a challenge, when there's a team that's going to try and beat them. Um, I think they'll show up and they'll look a lot better. Nava was a little bit iffy too. So not a great match overall from the Deeks, um, but God awful from the, the Wolfpack's perspective. So, Overall, I mean, I have to say going into the ACC tournament, Virginia is a massive, massive favorite. I'll be very surprised if they don't win the event. I think they do, unless for some miraculous reason, North Carolina is 100% healthy, everybody's back, and they just rip off, you know, three straight wins. That's fine. But other than that, your who's, Gruskin, they're, they're by far, by far the team to beat. No, it's not even a question of are they a national championship contender or not. They are. And, yeah, they are the hottest team in the ACC right now. They haven't lost, I don't think, since the national indoors. And, yeah, I mean, Wake Forest has hit their stride. If UNC is not healthy, they're going to lose again. And if they lose again, they're going to get screwed come NCAA seeding. They're going to be a bottom, you know, a 5-6. I don't think they can drop any lower than 6, like, as long as that loss is to you know, Wake Forest, ideally Virginia, if it's to Virginia, I don't know how they drop any lower than five, but it's just like UNC was counting on being that number one seed. Let's avoid all of those top teams. Let's, you know, shoot for a Tennessee in the semifinals, which not to be disrespectful to Tennessee, but just you look at the veteran lace teams of like the Baylors of the world, of the Floridas of the world. Tennessee hasn't been in that late stage. Um, 
yeah, I, I'm I'm concerned. On the flip side, we ragged on Notre Dame earlier in the season. They have bounced back, Chris. And you look at this ACC conference now. How many teams are on the bubble heading into tournament play? Because theirs is coming up. So who should we be watching most closely for result wise? Because like you look, I and mean, who's in already? So who's who's in? Well, and I'll probably skip them as I go by so fast. But obviously, North Carolina, Virginia, Wake Forest, uh, NC State in. NC State's in. Yeah. Uh, uh, Duke? Georgia Tech's in. Oh, ooh. Duke should be. Duke would have to probably collapse some, like take a really bad loss because they've got good wins. Even out to the eighth win, they've got another good one there. So Duke, Duke's in. So then it starts getting, uh, that. that's where you start getting iffy. Right now, Miami is a very interesting bubble team because they're sitting inside the cut line right now, but we're only counting seven wins and they don't have an eighth win over a team in the top 125. So as soon as we go to eight, they get hurt. They need a win in the ACC tournament over, you know, a, I'm not saying a, a, a top 50 team, just somebody, you know, a top 125 team. They need a win over someone other than Boston College. Uh, I mean, they, they've got to get, they've got to pick up a win. So they're, they are questionable after that right now, the rest are out. Like Louisville would be next. They're out. Uh, and honestly, I'm not sure that. And then Clemson, Clemson, Florida state sit back to back at around 56, 57 without, you know, something huge from both of them. Uh, they're out. Neither one of them's even got, a seventh win against a ranked team. They're just short. They just need matches. And I, and they were both shopping. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both of those teams, Clemson and Florida state were shopping for somebody to play uh, to try to pick up some points. Uh, And, you know, Clemson managed to get a match with Liberty, but they need one or two more. Florida state needs another one. Uh, Short of that happening. I don't think either one of them is getting in. So Chris, Miami plays Miami drew Georgia tech in the ACC tournament. So That's, if if yeah, they, they beat if win. they beat them, they should be in. Right. All right. And even a loss for that, and even that as a loss for Georgia Tech won't knock them out. Mm-hmm. Right. No. Interesting. So again, these are the things to watch this weekend as everything unfolds. Now, you know, again, some of the other miscellaneous results: South Florida. Big week weekend for the UCF Bulldogs. They knock off Tulsa 4-1. They also get a victory over Memphis 4-2. Uh, my match of the week, by the way, was a 4-3 victory in Florida. It was a battle and a victory for Florida Gulf Coast 4-3 over Chris's University of North Florida. I don't know why they're Chris's. They're just yours now. Congratulations. They're, they're Matt uh, Lucas's, but okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matt Lucas's North Florida. That's funny. Um but no, and you'll notice, you know, we didn't talk about the SEC this week. There were a couple of matches here and there, but most of those teams getting ready for championship week as they deal with the snow down in Fayetteville, Arkansas. But, you know, again, mini Chris's corner here. Any final results I missed on Chris? Any other things we should be watching SEC, you know, conference championship wise this week? Obviously, that at Florida, the one seed, Texas A&M, the four seed, what is it, Tennessee and Georgia, you're two, three. Um, just what what are you going to be watching, you know, rest of this weekend? And in terms Yeah, obviously of, I'm watching that SEC tournament, which I yeah. think is – You're watching play it right out now, very, literally. Very, very interestingly, yeah, I'm watching this Mississippi State-Alabama uh, match now. 
but uh, the winner to get Florida. So it's a, you know, it's a short lived existence, but, uh, but the, but the weather in Fayetteville looks like probably indoors the rest. I mean, like the high is 55. So you're like, maybe one of the midday matches gets to go outdoors. Uh, but other than that, they may be stuck indoors for the duration. And you have to think that's probably not the best thing in the world for Florida. It's got to be really to Tennessee's liking uh, and not necessarily to A&M's liking. So, you know, when you look at those top teams, I would say Georgia plays a fair amount at their indoor facilities. I would say, I would say Georgia and Tennessee probably of those top four seeds, the most comfortable uh, of the teams to play indoors. So I think that's going to be interesting. Um, you know, the couple to call out, I was going to call out that, that USF weekend. It was really great to see uh, what they did there. They don't have live streaming at USF, but they brought in a mobile stand with cameras from overhead to broadcast both of those matches this weekend. That was very cool. We need more of that. And, uh, and the one match, call out is from the big south conference presbyterian gets the automatic berth with a win over radford uh which was a bit i think they were the three or the four seed coming coming into the tournament so that was a nice weekend uh and win for presbyterian to get the automatic bid into the tourney coming out of the big south Mm -hmm. no again uh for a final weekend and there are still some matches this weekend but for the final series weekend across the board of uh regular season play it delivered the goods and so uh, again it's crazy to think given where we were in December how much was unknown about this college tennis season that we've ripped through the regular season but that's where we're at and so much credit has to go to the ITA the entire team for facilitating everything that was accomplished this season to all the coaches players staff who helped make all of these matches possible to all the fans who continue to tune in despite the frustrating circumstances of not being able to attend college tennis matches. And of course, attending college tennis matches is perhaps the greatest tennis experience, in my opinion, across ATP, WTA, professional, junior level. Doesn't get better than an in-person college tennis atmosphere when the crowd is vibing. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to the postseason. And the final thing we want to do today uh, is predict our 16 host regions for the upcoming NCAA tournament. Now, of course, there are still conference tournaments to be played, but we have the regular season in the books. We have the sample size we are going to get. So what we decided to do today, or at least what I decided to do with my list, I ranked my top 16 teams. Now, there was an adjustment I had to make at 16 to factor in for geography, but these are just the 16 teams I think have been the best 16, the most worthy of being host for the NCAA tournament. That's how I approached it. You know, Maddie and Chris, if you guys approached it differently, feel free to let me know. But with that in mind, I want to approach it as our top 10 rankings. So we're going to start from number one, work our way down to 16. Chris, if you can have the spreadsheet going, I imagine our first 10 all locks to host as well as top 10 teams right now. With that in mind, and again, in your first answer, Maddie, you can tell me if you approached it differently. I still have Virginia number one and a lock to host. I imagine you you have, have Florida number one and they're a lock. I do have Florida at number one in my rankings and a lock to host. Yes, there's no change from me from that end. Yeah, awesome. Chris? Yeah, same. Florida right. and a lock. 
Well, I have Florida number two. I imagine you guys have Virginia number two, right? And I feel like at that point we can we can rip through the lock. So you guys can just shake your head. Tell me if you disagree. Really just say if you disagree. Uh, I have UNC number three. Um, perhaps this is actually where you disagree. I still need answers, I suppose, for ranking purposes. So we can just rip through them. UNC lock. Maddie. Yeah, so at my number two is also Virginia, and number three is North Carolina. I, I agree with you there. Um, all yeah, locks for sure. Yeah. Chris, uh, you want? You know, are we doing the rankings or just talking about the teams you're asking for locks? Give me rankings, and I imagine rankings are proxies for locks, at least okay. in the top ten. So I shifted mine around this week. My number three this week is Tennessee. Ooh. And yes, wow. Uh, they, they're a lock. I, all all the top 10 are a lock. Yeah, I agree. Um, Tennessee's number four for me. And I had them jumping Baylor, uh, who I have at number five, and then Texas six. I know I said all those teams consecutively. Here's why. You know, Tennessee, outside of that loss, was it to Arkansas or Alabama? I forget at this point. It was to one of the two. Arkansas. Uh, yeah, it was to Arkansas. Thank you. Um, you know, outside of that, they've They've beaten everyone they're supposed to beat. They lost to Florida. Everyone's allowed to slip up once. It's still a regular season. Baylor, they moved down to five because of just the loss to Texas. And it's just like, again, it's a recency thing. I'll have Tennessee four, Baylor five. That's still the top five for me. And then Texas six. Because Texas might have beaten Baylor, but Baylor's still beaten Texas twice. That's why I can't have them drop out of the top five. So Tennessee four, Baylor five, Texas six. Maddie, I imagine yours is pretty similar. Pretty similar. I am keeping Baylor at four, and I'm going to have Tennessee at five. Tennessee was idle. They didn't play last week, and I I was considering moving Baylor down, but the way that they responded against TCU and avenged that loss, I mean, that was was a phenomenal performance, and and that gave me enough confidence right there to say, hey, I mean, Baylor doesn't have a loss like Arkansas on their record. So uh, for now, as good as I think Tennessee is, I'm more comfortable with them at five, and I do have Texas at six, all locks. Can I retract mine, Chris, or are we locked in at this point? Can I put you Baylor to four? All right, I would like to put Baylor at four and Tennessee at five because Maddie convinced me. You're right. That I shouldn't penalize Baylor for losing. So you're moving to Texas. Baylor four, Tennessee five, Texas six. Gotcha. That's mine. That's exactly my four, five, yeah. and six as I'm gonna, well. I'm going to agree with Maddie here this week. I think he's just absolutely correct. All right. What about you, Chris? So I, I already said I had Tennessee three. Uh, I dropped Baylor to four, and at this point, I'm out of the UNC bandwagon. They're number five for me. Wow! Quote that. Westoff, I'm writing down the clip. 1082. Chris is off the bandwagon. Make the case. Why? Just, I mean, we can't even get a lineup now. I mean, (laughs) if I could see, you know, if if I can see the Blumberg, Seguin, Rinky, Cernok, Peck, Sondergaard lineup and play well, but I can't, I don't know. It's been since before they played South Carolina that we've seen that. I mean, mm-hmm. how long has it been? So, you know, there was a part, I was, I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt for a little while. And yes, there's obviously they're still very good. They didn't, they, they didn't lose over the week, but um, they, they still don't look great and I'm not seeing the lineup. So, um, you know, if you ask me to bet right now on a Baylor, North Carolina match, I'm going to take Baylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I just I've got to slide him down until I see until I see something out of him. You know, I'm so disappointed because I wanted to have that hot take depending on their conference tournament play, 
But <laughs> as always, you beat me to the take. I'm not out on UNC yet just because they haven't been healthy, and I want to see if they are healthy this conference tournament. Now yeah, that I, hope, I hope play. they are. Yeah. Right. I, I want to see the best. For me, it was just a week too early. It's like if they struggle in the conference tournament when the lights are on, now we probably have to talk about it. It's still regular season. This team has played so many matches. Sondergaard, uh, Peck, Blumberg have been in a national championship before. But I I hear your logic. And so did you say Texas 5, UNC 6? No, UNC 5, and I've got Texas 6 along with you guys. Gotcha. All right. Well, now things get interesting. I have Illinois 7. We can go one by one here. I just, you know, Maddie, I know you got stuff to do, so I don't want to keep us too long. I have Illinois 7. I do not. I have Ohio State number 7. It's fair. They did beat the I I struggled with this one. Yeah, me too. I struggled a little bit with it, but right now, just the way that they – they did come back against Michigan. Um, I do like the Buckeyes. So I, I'm going to put them at number seven in my Fair. rankings. I will say this, not to get ahead of things, they're my number eight team. So it's not as though I disagree with you by much. I just said Illinois, the win over Virginia without Kova to follow it up to do it without Kova against Northwestern to you know beat Michigan to play that match. It was 4-3 against the Buckeyes. It's a toss-up. I give them the benefit of the doubt here, but I don't blame you. 7-8 for me was the right two spots for them. Chris, which way do you have it? I've got Illinois 7, Ohio State 8. All right, interesting. Maddie, is Illinois your 8 team? They are. They are. So again, consensus top eight forming here. Things get more interesting as we get to nine and 10. My nine was TCU because again, their losses outside of a loss to USC, I think exclusively to teams uh, ranked above them in our crack rackets poll. They beat who they're supposed to beat. Sometimes they lose to who they're supposed to lose to. Uh, Sometimes they even beat them. They're nine for me, Maddie. What say you? Yep, same for me. I've got the Horn Frogs at number nine. To me, they're just—they're still a top ten team. They just—they've shown. They, I know there's been a little bit of inconsistency, but I still—I think they're very dangerous. I've got them at nine. That's fair. That's—I agree with you, Chris. Same for me. I've got TCU nine. Beautiful. Now comes number 10. And again, we're still talking locks here for region. I think the first nine names were very clear. I think from here on in, things get a little bit more confusing. My number 10 team, 10th lock, I'm going to go with UCF. They deserve it. They deserve it. And I know it's probably a little bit high for them. Do I think they would beat Wake Forest, Georgia, Michigan, Texas A&M, and USC, you know, some of the teams that we're going to talk about here in a little bit? I, I still wouldn't pick them straight up. But at this point of the season, they've earned this number 10 ranking, and they beat Wake Forest. So that's why I have them above I was going to say, Forest. they did beat Wake Forest. Yeah, exactly. Alex. No, exactly. <laughs> and so that's why I had to have them above them. I know they lost at Georgia, but just body of work. Give me UCF 10. Maddie, what say you? I've got Wake. Yeah. I do. I've got Wake. And and I I know UCF beat him. That was at UCF, right? I, I yeah. think on a neutral I think on a neutral court, I, I'm just I'm gonna take Wake Forest. Um overall. I mean, I've seen him a lot this year. I I just feel a little bit more comfortable. UCF, look, they're deserving, right? They've had a great season. Are they one of your sixteen locks? Yes. Yeah. They are, but they're not my number 10 team. That's Wake Forest. Completely fair. I No problem with that at all. Chris? Yeah, UCF still my number 10. 
All right, perfect. Well, again, those are the locks thus far. We'll get into our top 10 poll at the end. Let's keep going. I think we agree Wake Forest is a lock as well. I'm going to name my 16. You guys tell me if you agree or disagree. We'll go if you have them on your list or not. Jo- uh, excuse me, Wake Forest. They're on Maddie's list, obviously. I imagine they're on yours too, Chris. All right. Yep. They are a lock. Let's go next. Georgia. I have them as a lock. Maddie? I do too. Yes. Chris? Chris? Yep. Regardless of the SEC tournament? Regardless. I agree with you there. I mean, the worst they can do is lose to South Carolina. That's not that's right. barely going to hurt at all. Exactly. <laughs> so now things get interesting. We still don't have a West Coast team. I'm, pay- I'm making a bet on... On the Trojans, on USC. They're one of my locks. I just think body of work, I think they're going to have the Pac-12 tournament. It's a guess here. I think it's them or Stanford. I'm going to go USC. Maddie, you're shaking your head. It looks like you agree. I, I do. I do agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, USC's, USC's an absolute lock. No yeah. way they don't host. Okay. Yeah. So lock those bad boys in as well. That's number 13. Last three spots. Texas A&M. I yep. say yes, but barely. And they're like a bad loss away from the at the SEC tournament from barely, in my opinion. But it won't hurt them from a ranking standpoint, I know. I'm just saying my Well, who are they? They play Kentucky, right? Yeah, who's on the border for me. That's a play. That could be a potential play-in for me. Like to a host site. A&M's in. Come on. Yeah. I, A&M's in. No matter what. Yeah. All right. All right. That's fine. That's So that's number 13. Or is that number four? No, that's number 14. All right, Michigan, Kentucky, and Stanford are my last three contenders. And I know, I and Chris, you can tell us if we're missing anyone obvious. Those were my last three for the two spots. I really wanted to throw in Kentucky, man. Kentucky's well, just good. Hang on. You, you, you can't have counted everybody so far because Ole Miss is in there. I don't have Ole Miss on my list. You don't have Ole Miss on your list? No. no. So Ole, you Miss just, is, Ole Miss is hosting. Okay, so they're one of the four as well then. So for the final two spots, it's Michigan, Kentucky, have- Stanford, and Ole Miss. Because we have 14 oh. right now. Jay, you didn't say anything about South Carolina. They're hosting. So those are your last two then. Those are 15 and 16. So Michigan, Kentucky, Stanford are out. That's what you're telling me. I have Michigan, Kentucky, Stanford, and Texas Tech as the four out. As the four out. That's a bold four out. What What's about it? Arizona? Is Arizona I- out? Arizona's not a candidate. Yeah, they, okay. they got turned down to begin with. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have interest. So you think those so, last two SEC teams are locked, Chris? Make, make the case because you know best. Well, I just think that – so, well, no, here, here's what I think. I, I think South, South Carolina's they're, – they're in such a good spot right now. I don't think that – I don't think they're going to fall enough in the computer ranks. They'll still be above the other SEC teams in all likelihood. So I think – uh, even with a loss to Georgia, I think they look pretty good. Old Miss is up there. Um, now, granted, they're not going to be a favorite in their next match. But what it comes down to to me is you're looking at Illinois sitting at 16 and likely to finish 16 or 17. Even if they're 17, they're going to host. Illinois is in. Okay. You're going to get Illinois and another Big Ten team. Your question, your question was, do you get three? And I don't think you do. And and here's why. For me, it comes down more to geography. You look at the teams that can can do it. You get teams that can go. But there's plenty of teams that can go to Illinois. You've got teams like Middle Tennessee, Cleveland State, Tennessee Tech, Eastern East Tennessee State. They can all go to Ohio State. 
they can't really go to Michigan. Michigan, you got like Western Michigan, Notre Dame, and you've pretty much run your course. So unless they finish ahead of Ohio State, meaning they've got to basically probably win the Big Ten, I think it's going to be a really tough sell to get Michigan as a host. So I'm, I'm, I'm pulling Michigan out for just that reason. Uh, again, they could play themselves in. Texas Tech, I think, without – I don't think there's any question that without a win – over one of the top three in the Big 12 tournament, even though they're they were out. named one of the 20 candidates, they're not a host, right? So that's two. For the reasons I mentioned before on the West Coast teams, there just aren't enough West Coast teams in the tournament. So I think you get one host out there, and it's USC. So um, you could still get – I mean, they could give two if they wanted, but when I take the fact that there's not enough teams and they just, you know, crap the bed against Oregon, uh, they're out. So – that leaves me down to knocking one more team out. And honestly, we've got like seven SEC hosts at the at the moment in there. I think it's got to be one of them that comes out. And I look, so your bottom three SEC teams are South Carolina, Ole Miss, and Kentucky. The question is which one comes out. And it's you, I would have to assume it's whoever comes out of the rankings, the lowest ranked team at the end. Right now, that's Kentucky. So barring a Kentucky win over A&M, I think it's Kentucky that that gets it. If Kentucky manages to beat A&M, then it's probably Ole Miss that gets dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maddie? But that Ole Miss, I have Kentucky Ole Miss in on my good... – I have Kentucky in. I think, I think Kentucky – I think they're better than Ole Miss right now, just straight up. Like that's why I would agree with you, Maddie. That's why they're on my list and Ole Miss is not. Then they just beat Ole Miss. So yeah, and, right. And keep in mind the NCAA takes that kind of thing into account for seeding and whatnot. So if they end up back to back, they very well could uh, go Kentucky, and they are sitting right now back to back. That's yeah. what I've got. I've got Kentucky. I, yeah, I, I could see that easily uh, ha- happening. Ole Miss is a little better position geography wise because I think they can they can. They're a little closer to the Oklahoma schools. I guess my question uh, would know. be, how do you justify, though, having Ohio State, Illinois, and Kentucky? Like, do you really need Ohio State and Kentucky? If you're having an Ohio State region, doesn't that sort of make Kentucky a bit obsolete, Chris, geographically? Well, no, because you've j- there are just so many teams in that area, right? Kentucky's, yeah. Kentucky's drivable to a lot of places. You can get to the, to the Carolinas very easily. You can pull all of those non-SEC Tennessee teams in there, right? The East Tennessee State, the Tennessee Tech, the, you know, there's all kinds of schools like that that are in, just in that, there's no shortage of teams in in the Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia, you know, that whole quadrant area that you could easily find teams to fill in there. Mm -hmm. No, again, it's an interesting proposition. And so, you know, uh, I think Michigan's going to deliver at the Big Ten tournament. I think they are going to play their way into it. I think the last one probably is Old. Uh, yeah, I'll take Ole Miss over South Carolina. I've yeah, no, I like Maddie's argument. If it comes, if it comes down to Ole Miss, Kentucky, and they're back to back, then I think they go with Ole Miss just because they just beat them. Or Kentucky, yeah, or you mean Kentucky because they just beat them. I mean, yeah, Kentucky. They go with yeah. they go with Kentucky because they beat them. Yeah, and barring. Yeah one of those two teams pulling off a win tomorrow in the sec tournament yeah all right well i like it do you have our top 10 rankings by the way for this week our updated crack rackets top 10 i do give them to me 
All right, number one, Florida. Number two, Virginia. Number three, North Carolina. Number four, Baylor. Number five, Tennessee. Number six, Texas. Number seven, Illinois. Number eight, Ohio State. Number nine, TCU. And number 10, UCF. Oh, that sounds a lot like a list I have in my notes here. That sounds like a list yeah, that was... Yeah, it does, I should have is... put Wake Forest at number seven just to screw with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is, none of us are exactly right, though, because you said Florida's one, right? All right yeah, yeah, yeah. You're off on the one-two. Yeah, you got to exactly. swap one-two. Yeah. So, And, I mean, all of us pretty similar in teams. Yeah, Manny, come on. You just got to learn how to game the system. Uh, yeah, oh, I know you know how to do that. You always put Michigan at like five. Did I not though this week? I did not. I rewarded. There's no way you could get away with it this week. Right. Well, I could have tried. It just, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't have gotten away with it. Um, yeah, we wouldn't have even allowed it in no, the poll. I, I would not I have typed it in. I want you to know, I start every USTA poll I fill out by putting Michigan in the number one position and then filling out the rest and then being like, all right, it's time to change it. Where does Michigan go? And then I'm like, okay, they actually belong here. Um, and so I never submit Michigan number one, but I always think about doing it but anyways i'll save that for a more mischievous day that's our crack rackets top 10 that's our recap of the final week of this 2021 college tennis regular season what a fantastic season it has been again given the circumstances everyone deserves credit for uh, making this season happen a shout out to all of you followers who of course have followed with us week in week out if you have missed out on any of the action, you can catch up with everything on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Mini Break Podcast, Crack Interviews Podcast, to hear more about the professional tour, to hear from some of the players and coaches competing at the collegiate level, and so much more. Of course, uh, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Turna. Remember, call 800-554-3707 or email sales at uniquesports.com to become part of the Turna family. With that in mind, I feel like we've hit everything here in this hour, 25 minutes, so we are ready to wrap today's podcast for the wonderful Matt Stokowiak and Chris Halliores for our super producers Fliegner and Westoff and for our friends at Turna and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? Hey! hey. Great, great shot. shot! And we will see you all next time. Thanks everyone.